Welcome to the State Change Podcast, where we discuss the issues and subjects that surround the construction of the new internet. I'm your host, Arthur Falls. Today we look at the problem of modern slavery and how it intersects with wildlife conservation. The subject is brought to the fore by growing interest in using blockchain technologies to illuminate the business processes which conceal the presence of slavery. Our guests are Ryan Islin and Bubba Cook. This episode was co-hosted and edited by Alexis Kenyon. First of all, thanks for joining me, Brian and Bubba. Brian, could you introduce yourself and explain a bit about what you do over at Slave Free Trade? Sure. Thanks, Arthur. So my name is Brian. I'm the founder of Slave Free Trade. We're a nonprofit association based in Geneva, and our principal aim is to lift out of slavery the people who are enslaved in business supply chains around the world. Out of 45 million people estimated to be in slavery, by which we mean forced labor, child labor, human trafficking, and slavery and servitude, we're looking at about 90% of those people are in business supply chains. And Bubba, can you explain a bit about what you do for the World Wildlife Fund? Sure. I'm the Western and Central Pacific Tuna Program Manager for the World Wildlife Fund or the Worldwide Fund for Nature. As many of you probably recognize the Panda logo, which is, uh, seems to be ubiquitous around the world. We are one of the largest international conservation organizations on the planet. And my particular role is in working with the Western and Central Pacific tuna fisheries to improve the practices and the, and the management and the conservation of the resource in the region. So that's an, a basic description of, of, of what I do, more or less. And I think there's a significant nexus with what Brian is engaged in with the slave-free trade, because we do encounter enslavement in, in the fisheries, uh, or at a minimum, what they would characterize as indentured servitude, although I would mm-hmm. suggest it's slavery all around. Yeah. So in both of these cases, you guys are looking at a supply chain where opacity is allowing malicious behavior and unethical behavior to be hidden from the end consumer. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually the top end of the supply chain is what it's called. And for every product on the shelf, there is a supply chain. A supply chain is the way that product gets to where it is, and it includes the way it's made and the way the materials are produced or farmed even. So a T-shirt appearing on the shelf in in a department store in a modern city has a supply chain of several layers and they're usually called tiers and those layers go back to through the logistics chain for the transportation of the product but then they also go to a factory where the t-shirt is has its labels stitched into it and then before that it goes to another factory where the t-shirt itself is assembled and before that it goes right back to where it was cotton picked in Uzbekistan on a farm for example and Principally, the the people who are retailing the products that are coming out of these supply chains, they don't stand beyond the product they sell. They look at the closest points in their supply chains and they ignore the the rest of it. So what happens below there, they've kind of written a blank check for suppliers and the suppliers just take all, uh, they engage in all sorts of abuses. And so by that, you mean like people are forced? Give me an example of what the indentured servitude looks like. Well, there are many conditions that, that, that are considered slavery, modern slavery. So uh, forced labor, for example, where somebody is forced into a situation to work for low wages, long hours, uh, in exploited conditions. Child labor is included. So children that shouldn't be working, they should be in school. So, for example, we're talking about, well, teenagers on fishing boats, for example, who should be in school. 
children as young as three in India mining mica that's used in eyeshadow and car polish. Children as young as uh, six in the Congo mining cobalt for our mobile phones. The conditions that they're kept in are appalling. Many of them contract diseases. Cancer is common, especially in places where, for example, powerful chemicals are used to refine materials like the cobalt. These are bad conditions in which people are working. Cocoa farms are known for it. Fishing boats are known for it. So a good example, and Bubba will relate to this, in my early days working on traffic, human trafficking in Thailand, there were Cambodian boys being driven across the border into Thailand and put on fishing boats and sent to sea. And then at the end of the fishing season, they were, they were kept in quite bad conditions, often on deck, sometimes chained. It's certainly in a, in a number of cases, and one of my first cases that I came across, the boys were pushed overboard at the end of the season and died yeah. because the and captain that, didn't want to pay them. And that's not an uncommon yeah. scenario that we've heard. And there's been quite a bit of great journalism done on that subject by Ian Urbina and Martha Mendoza and uh, a couple of other high-profile journalists that have exposed that. And yeah. as a result of that exposure, we're, we're finally starting to see some, some progress against those, uh, against those type of atrocities. And I, I'm hopeful that this, this kind of technology that we're going to be talking about today will help uh, resolve some of these issues. Yeah. So this is certainly what the type of case where Bubba's supply chain, Bubba's work and my work cross over. This is, that's a really, really appalling and hard to fathom type of behavior. I mean, is that, how widespread is that, uh, are those practices? At least 80% of everything we buy. And if you ask, if you yeah. ask uh, a okay. couple of years ago, the head of corporate social responsibility for Tesco, which is a large British uh, supermarket chain department store, uh, he estimated closer to 100%. If you're not talking about just the fishing industry, then as, as I said, we're talking about 45 million people around the world in conditions, in, in such conditions in different areas. There are hundreds of millions in rather dire conditions that are close or approximating slavery. The bonded, bonded labor, for example, exists along a spectrum, some treated worse than others. But 45 million, you have to consider, is actually the, the really quite hardcore cases. There are hundreds of millions more in other, in other less dire situations. What is the, uh, what's the difference in price between a product that might be produced without indentured servitude or, or slavery? Uh, or s There's no difference in price. Really? Yeah. There's a difference in distribution of the wealth that's generated from that product, but there's yes, no difference in price, I would agree. There's, there's no difference to the retailer, exactly. Slave-free and slave-made are the same price. In fact, there are many circumstances where you can show you the, the amounts of money that are being spent on keeping people in servitude is actually really quite expensive. But, you know, we're talking about the very beginning of the supply chain. So, in fact, what's happening at that point is that the makers of those products are getting so little money anyway that compared to the retail proportion of the total funds for that available for that product at the retail end, it makes no difference whatsoever. So let me give you an example. A $14 t-shirt, 40 to 60% of that $14 goes to the retailer. And then other people take their piece along the way and the maker of the shirt gets 0.5% of that $14. So, so, if, so if we were, for example, to increase the share of the worker who makes that t-shirt by 10 cents per t-shirt, Every one of those workers would be on a living wage and there'd be no difference in the price. It just means somewhere along the chain of the shirt, including the responsibility of the retailer who's taking, as I said, 40 to 60 percent, if they all give up a proportion of 10 cents or the retailer gives up 10 cents, all of the workers in those supply chains will be on a living wage. It's that small a difference that, that, that can make a, that small an amount of money can make a huge difference along the way.
why does it exist if no one is making more money on it? Oh, someone is making more money. Greed yeah. is a powerful drug. The middlemen, you know, the, the folks who are in the center of the supply chain, or in my case, many times the vessel owners who are at the what I would characterize as the front end of the supply chain are the ones making all the money off of the, of the, uh, the illegal portion of, of that. Exactly. Work. Because the price that they pass it on for is the same. So if the, in, the, in the example of the ship's captain who was uh, on a prawning ship in uh, the Gulf of Thailand, for example, and killed these boys, he was passing on the prawns at exactly the same price, whether those boys were dead or alive. He was cutting his costs, essentially. Yeah. That's, that's what it boils down to. Yeah. And you cut your costs at that end of the, the retail chain, and at the retail point, the retailer sees no difference. Yeah. There was just recently a case, and I believe it was Nova Scotia, where they had uh, over about a decade and a half that embezzled and laundered tens of millions of dollars in, in that case. Uh, you know, the, the business was largely seen as a legitimate business. They were just going about what they always did, uh, but they were using it as a platform, as a distribution hub, which is all that they did. They didn't catch seafood. They weren't operating the vessels or anything. They were just providing the distribution channel for it to bring revenue in. I mean, it's... Yeah. And uh, that's just an indication of how that illegality can be facilitated just by that opacity in the supply chain, because no one could see what was coming in, what was going out. It took forensic investigation to go back and figure out exactly what was going on after they got busted. It's pretty, common in, every, yeah. it's pretty common in every supply chain. We're talking about, you know, at, at its essence, it's like a used car sale. The, there is an information asymmetry in all of the transactions. And the people who are catching the prawns, for example, they know what their sunk costs are. And so when they sell, they know exactly what their profit margin is because they know their costs. They sell it for as high as a price as they can get. And if that means a considerable inflation along the way and not being honest necessarily about the costs that have gone into the creation of that value, they'll do it. Information asymmetry, which is where blockchain really comes into its own. I love that information asymmetry because that's basically what it boils down to. It is, absolutely. I mean, we, we all of us who have worked or are in, in the industry or, or in the NGO community for you know, any amount of time, you, you hear the stories and you understand what goes on out at sea, but it's, you know, like the, the old Alien movie, when, uh, when you're in space, no one can hear you scream. Well, when you're out at sea, what happens at sea stays at sea. And we knew these things were going on, but you can't prove it. I've dealt with it on a, a personal level. I, I'd lost a friend in 2015 who was working as a fisheries observer on a tuna tram shipment vessel. And I had no question in my mind that he was murdered. And we ultimately couldn't do anything about it because they, it was under a Panamanian flag. It was a Panamanian owned vessel. They're known as a, a flag of convenience country. And they weren't willing to do anything. And my first response was, I'm going to call everyone I know in the supply chain, and I'm going to strand that shipment indefinitely until they do something about this. And I couldn't because the seafood supply chain was so opaque and so diffuse that, yeah. you know, the companies just shrugged their shoulders and said, well, we, we don't know. We can't say we're buying from these guys. We, you know, it goes through so many different middlemen. We have no idea. So we, we can't really help you. Oh. And, and that's that's why this is so important. It's like if this technology had been in place, you know, maybe we could have shut down that, that shipment. It would have been stranded on that vessel and we could have made it hurt at least, 
you know, that company if we couldn't get justice for my friend Keith Davis. How come? Did, why? Why do you think he was murdered? <clears throat> Fisheries observers—they're the eyes and ears of the enforcement agencies and the management agencies. Their role on board that vessel is to document everything that they see. Um, Keith, Keith had integrity. He was a good guy. He was good at his job, and I suspect that he saw something on board the vessel. And there, there is some evidence to indicate that he had seen something that disturbed him. And he was willing to document it, and the people on board that vessel couldn't allow that to happen. Wow. That's a really shocking thought, that, that a fisheries observer could be subject to physical harm to prevent them from actually reporting on uh, malpractice in, on a fishing boat. That's really, I mean, unbelievable. There's a great deal of violence is required to keep slavery alive yeah. right, across, right across the board. So you guys are both engaged in developing solutions and to this exact problem, to the, the problem of opacity in supply chains. How are you using these new technologies to, uh, to shed light on some of these atrocities? Well, what we're looking at using it, the, the blockchain for is to, to create that transparency by creating a, a, a mechanism by which a product can be traced from the point that it comes on board that vessel all the way to the actual consumer itself. So what we're looking for is what boat to throat or bait to plate traceability. And by creating that electronic trail, you know, essentially a trail of breadcrumbs back to the producer, by creating that level of transparency, if there is an investigation in that supply chain, if there is a suspicion of human slavery or illegal activity, you have a mechanism to know. At, at the point we're at right now, because you can't see up the supply chain to the, the producer, uh, as a retailer, it's better not to know because you can't know. So you can kind of shrug it off and say, well, you know, we really don't know what's happening at the at the vessel level. So, you know, we we, we just you know, we just don't want to go there. Whereas if you have a mechanism to uh, to be able to see all the way up the supply chain, you can say, hey, look, you're at risk here. If you don't address your supply chain and you don't ensure that you're buying from an absolutely reputable supplier, it could affect you. It could affect you in a serious way, because if it comes out that you're sourcing your seafood from a company that's engaged in drug trafficking or arms trafficking or any number of illegal activities that could include human slavery, you can bet it's going to affect your bottom line. So it, it sheds light on the supply chain. It gives us an opportunity to see in and understand. But I think there's also some other benefits from a seafood perspective that, that um, aren't necessarily considered is it ultimately empowers the producer as well. Because if the producer can see all the way down the supply chain where his product is going and how much it's making, he, he gets a competitive advantage because he can see exactly how much his product is worth. And if it's going through five middlemen who are all taking a cut, what reason is there for him to have his product going through five middlemen when it gets to its ultimate destination? You know, he could be making that profit that those five distributors that do nothing more than shuffle paper and shuffle fish are making instead. So I think there's some real advantages to having something like this in place. And it seems like an ideal technology for the seafood industry, which is, as I described earlier, it's very diffuse. It's, it's very widespread. You could have a piece of fish from Alaska, for instance, that goes all the way to central mainland China before it ever goes back to a seafood restaurant in New Jersey. 
And there could be any number of hands in between those two places that that fish is changing hands. So uh, it, it, it's, I, I think it has huge potential for, for the seafood industry. So what does a solution look like? Well, I can't. I mean, I'm not speaking only about fisheries when we talk about slave-free trade. So we're using blockchain, and we're going to be using blockchain in many, many different ways. One of them is the provenance-style checking track, tracking software that Bubba was talking about. So from the cotton farm right through to the T-shirt on the shelf in the department store, you can track a product. Blockchain has the capacity to shorten supply chains dramatically, because suddenly, if you're a a maker of uh, bespoke shirts in London and you want to uh, get a new source for your chambray and you want to make sure it's ethical, you can consult a database now where that is that is tapped into the supply chain provenance information and tells you exactly where that supplier is and what their phone number is. So we're really talking about over time being able to dramatically shorten supply chains and we're also talking about correcting a lot of the information asymmetry in the market. So it's going to revolutionize the market for them because suddenly more people have more ability to see into the supply chain and exactly what that product costs. Just think about the markup at retail end, the pricing markup, which is really substantial on, for example, luxury goods. When Hermes paid for that dress that was being stitched in Bangladesh, for example, there's no way they paid $400 for it. So this is, a, I think it's a really exciting time. Blockchain can do all of these things. Interesting. I, I think it's a brilliant concept. And I, I think that's, I, the future. I, th I think we're going to see more of that. We, we're seeing a population that's becoming more aware and people generally want to do the right thing. It, we wouldn't have places like Trader Joe's or Whole Foods Market or you know a lot of these smaller boutique supermarket arrangements if there weren't people that were interested in buying the right thing for the right reasons. Yeah, um, absolutely. One, one other one other thing that Brian raised is I think that there's going to be a natural progression as well related to the implementation of this technology um, and creating that transparency and giving consumers a choice to buy from a particular supply chain. Um, you ultimately squeeze the bad guys out because yeah. we see fishermen throughout the Pacific right now, local domestic fishermen that are benefiting their local economies that just simply can't compete against these large distant water fleets from, from China and Taiwan that they pay their workers nothing. The, the vessels are, are built on a shoestring. They're <clears throat> basically floating death traps. And they're catching as much fish in violation of the regulations as, as they can. And that basically undercuts everyone. It undercuts the resource. It undercuts the governments that might be receiving revenues from, from the resource, you know, the local, local domestic industries. It's all around a, a bad situation. And, and we have a potential to change that with a revolutionary technology like blockchain. Yeah, exactly. One of the missing pieces in the equation hitherto has been information to the consumer at the point of sale. We, as I said before, there's a, there's a huge disconnect between ethical consumption and ethical retailing. That is, consumers want to buy ethical, but they can't find it. And they go into a shop and start asking about, is that slave made? The shopkeeper has absolutely no idea. So one of the, one of the big aspects of the blockchain revolution for this purpose is informing consumers and arming consumers. So that's why we've got a consumer-facing label. You walk into a department store and there are two T-shirts in front of you. One of them is labeled certified slave-free. Which one do you buy? Our psychologists are telling us two-thirds of consumers will buy the certified slave-free and have a hard time buying anything else. So we put that information in the hands of the consumer and suddenly we're talking about really 
arming them with the information they need to reward the businesses that are doing the right thing. And that's where we really start to even up in social justice terms, start to even the game between good and bad guys. And I think that, that Brian touches on another issue there, and that's brand security. When you're issuing a certificate or a brand or some, some identification of a product being slave-free or sustainable or anything like that, I mean, brand fraud is an issue. You know, there's, there's money to be made from those brands, and people know that, and so you get copycats, you get brand fraud. And if you have a system in place like what blockchain offers, you know, you can check to see where it came from um, and you can check the chain of custody for that particular product. And in our case, the Marine Stewardship Council has a certification which identifies a particular fish product from a sustainably caught or sustainably prosecuted fishery. And, you know, they, they suffer from issues of brand fraud. They very often find fraudulent products on the market shelves that if you had blockchain in place, you could scan a QR code and say, oh, well, it came from this fishery in the Central Pacific. And you would know that it was coming from uh, that, indeed, from that sustainable fishery. Whereas another product that if they just slapped the blue ticker symbol on their product, if you scanned it, you wouldn't get that information. It, it has huge potential at reducing fraudulent kind of, uh, of activity as well. And there's no limit with blockchain. There's no limit to the amount of information you can give to the consumer. So we're actually talking, for example, if you've got certified slave-free products coming out of factories and it's embedded in the QR code, our assessment of that factory against all of the principles, no forced labor, no child labor, freedom of association, et cetera, all of that assessment information is embedded in the code. And so you scan the QR code and you can get the actual assessment. The consumer can get the assessment. The retailer can get it and they can check to see that, okay, this T-shirt has a certified slave-free label. Uh, they scan the code and then on their tablet, they get the assessment to prove that it's not a fraud, for example. So this brand uh, awareness, brand consciousness is very important too, especially when we're talking about forged brands in the market. So a large part of what I'm getting from this is that you guys are talking about creating a new super premium product where all of this information that will inform a consumer's purchasing actions is actually brought to that point of purchase. So you have this hyper-informed consumer who's able to make decisions that are in line with their own ethics. Actually, I would disagree with that. I don't think you're making a super premium product. I think you're making an honest product. Uh, yeah, super premium you're, is not the right word because that suggests it's more expensive. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just think you're creating honesty in the supply chain. It's yeah. it's it's that simple. You're 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 leveling the playing field in a way that has previously been unachievable. What are your visions of the future? How do you see the world changing in the wake of this new technological revolution? Actually, Arthur, I was just thinking about that in this last you know five minutes. I was imagining walking into a supermarket and the automatic doors opening up, pulling out my smartphone, being able to pull up a, a dashboard and click a couple of radio buttons that say, okay, today I want to buy uh, sustainable and slave free and do a heads up toward the supermarket. And it would automatically kind of highlight all the products or the regions on the shelves where I could go to and buy those products. That's exactly and what I, we're doing. I, 
Yeah, that's that's the kind of vision I see there. Or, or that as you're walking down the aisle, your phone would buzz and say, hey, you know, this is a slave-free product or this is a sustainably caught product that you can buy today and, and give you some information on it. And I think the potential is huge in empowering the consumer to make the right choices and the right decisions in what they buy and ultimately drive the supply chain towards greater honesty and improvement and sustainability and all of the good things, all the social good that we talked about earlier. Yeah. The the consumer has been the completely underestimated element in this uh, discussion up and right up until the blockchain technology enables the consumer more or empowers the consumer more. So we're talking about it. Yeah. We're talking about a hyper-informed consumer. And by the end of this year, we'll have an app that Gives, tells you where your product is, which city the product is that you're looking for. If you're looking for monkey jeans, for example, the only slave-free jeans, you can pop it into the, the B2C uh, application on your phone. It'll tell you which city it's in. You go to that city, it'll tell you which store it's in. And when you go into the store, it has an augmented reality that Bubba was just envisioning. By the end of the year, we'll have this. It's an augmented reality. You hold your smartphone up and it shows you where in the store the product is. And then when you go to that product, you can pull up the assessment of the supply chain, the, the assessment that we conducted. What is the pushback to this kind of technology? Well, the bad guys obviously don't like it. <laughs> Big business doesn't really like it yet, I have to say. Yeah. And, and, and like I said earlier, I think it has the potential to cut out a lot of the middlemen who are skimming the cream off of what profit might be going to the producers and, and inflating the price that the, the retailer ultimately pays or, or the consumer ultimately pays. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it could have a huge disruptive effect on existing supply chains and existing agreements between players in those supply chains. So, if, for example, H&M, would that kind of company want to do this type of thing or would it make at, at it the moment, no. too hard for them? <laughs> at the moment, no. And why I, not? Uh, because in big business, there's a kind of status quo inertia that is this is the way it is this is the way they've done it and any massive change like the changes we're talking about it's going to change the way they do business and it's going to change the way they compete it's going to change all of the metrics on which they determine whether their business is a good one or a bad one and i think that's for for h&m's zara's timberlands and the like they are struggling with the concept and they're deathly afraid of it because they they have to change every, they have to change things. It will change everything for them. But will and, it? But you said it won't really re change their prices. It's just on. I mean, will it be a big extra cost for them? Well, no, it's not a big extra cost, and it won't change. The, it will change their prices. I mean, ultimately, will change their prices because if they are using blockchain and talking about the systems we're talking about, then their supply chain will be dramatically shorter because they'll be connecting with the right suppliers. But that assumes that they are they are in the game for ethical consumption themselves. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, it, it's not gonna, it's gonna change the nature of the game and the rules of the game, and they're not equipped for it. And I, I would agree with that. And I would suggest that they're not going to have a choice in it. I think this is going to happen whether they want it to or not. The companies that get on board early are going to be the beneficiaries and the ones that you know tend to lag as always it's going to be a struggle for them to catch up and it's an inevitability at this point blockchain has the potential to really empower the consumer in a way that has unprecedented 
and they're going to want that. The consumers are going to they're going to drive that. And and the retailers, because the consumers are driving it, the retailers are going to drive it. And you're going to see this progression towards this traceability and transparency in the supply chain that they're just not going to have a choice to ignore it. They're going to have to implement it. Exactly. We've we've already seen, for example, in the UK with this modern slavery legislation, it creates a race to the top for transparency. One of the difficulties, though, is that uh, the the bigger companies that are saying to us, no, we're not at all not at all ready for this, and shying away from it completely, don't even return our calls in some cases. They're the ones that are going to have the worst problems because they are going to have to come on board, as Bubba says. There is going to be there is a shift that they can't avoid. The ripples will expand to their elements of the market, or they will lose market share. Did the did the seafood industry join because there was all of that bad press about um, about seafood? That was a huge part of it. I, I am a when when people are informed, they can make informed decisions. And when you have great journalists out there, you know the the Ian Urbinas, the Martha Mendozas, the Tom Knudsons, and and others that are exposing some of this stuff, this this stuff that people rightfully should be upset about. It creates the conditions to push industry in the right direction. And we've been seeing that in, in a, a slow progression over the last two decades in, in seafood. And and you have those that are fully on board that want to do the right thing. And they're, they're trying to do what they can to improve transparency and traceability in their supply chain and who they buy from and when they buy and, and meeting all those conditions. But you have a huge proportion that has absolutely no interest in that, just as Brian suggested. And um, and and the reason that those are those companies, those ones that just don't care about anything but the bottom line, are able to operate is because we don't have that mechanism in place to say, don't buy from these guys. They're jerks. They, you know, you don't want to buy your products from them. And and here's how you can avoid buying from them. And that's what blockchain offers. It gives consumers options. It gives them. It empowers them in a way to be able to determine, you know, who they want to buy from and and how they want to buy it and and where they want to buy it, such that they don't support the bad guys. Well, this has been a really fantastic discussion, um, and more than. A little bit disturbing. I should hope so. You shouldn't talk about slavery without getting disturbed. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's it's really ghastly. And uh, and thanks for sharing your uh, your stories because obviously you've actually been on the frontier and seen some things that normally people in the tech industry and people focused on emerging technologies would never have exposure to. And it's a really rare opportunity. So thanks to both of you. Thanks for the opportunity. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to State Change on iTunes or find us at statechange.net. You can follow us on Twitter at statechange underscore. And if you have any comments about the show or any questions, email contact at statechange.net.